From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, we are less than 50 days away from one of the most significant and consequential elections in the history of our republic. So, what should we do? Well, if you're a regular listener, you should know the answer. Pray, vote, and stand. And that is our focus today as we talk to two pastors, very good friends of mine, who are heading up prayer efforts as we move toward the November 3rd election. Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Harbinger, and the author of the just-released book, The Harbinger Returns. He is helping head up the return National and Global Day of Prayer and Repentance. He joins me in just a moment. Then Carter Conlon of Times Square Church is taking us back to where it all began 400 years ago, Plymouth Rock, for a global prayer event. I'll be there with him. It's entitled, Lord, Forgive Us. And Pastor Carter joins us later here on Washington Watch. And then Joseph Backholm, FRC Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement, is here on the Vote and Stand portion of the challenge that is before us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. And if you have not yet taken the challenge to pray, vote, and stand, I want to encourage you to do so. Go to TonyPerkins.com. You can take the pledge right there. Share it with your friends. 2020 has been a turbulent year. I mean, anybody want to take an issue with that? You know, we've, we've struggled with a pandemic, economic downturn, uh, rioting, looting, lawlessness in our streets, and now we're looking at the most pivotal election ever. Are there signs of uh, God's judgment on America, or is he taking back his hand of protection from upon us? Joining me now is Pastor Jonathan Kahn. He preaches at the Jerusalem Center, Beth Israel, in Wayne, New Jersey. It's the largest congregation of Messianic Jews in America. He is the author, as I mentioned, the New York Times bestseller, The Harbinger, and he just released a sequel, The Harbinger, The Return. And um, as I mentioned, he is uh, helping to head up a prayer effort, be coming up uh, very soon. Uh, He is co-chairing a night of prayer and repentance on the National Mall. It's called The Return, National and Global Day of Prayer and Repentance. And he says, we seek to turn back America and countries around the world from the path of destruction and pray for the next generation. Rabbi Khan, welcome to Washington Watch. Great to be with you, Tony, always. Well, good to hear your voice. Let me just start with the most basic of questions. What exactly is the return? Tell our listeners. Yeah, the return, and it's not just the night. You know, the return is is uh, the national day of uh, and global day of prayer and repentance. Um, and it is basically it is the the pattern of the Bible um, that the the promise that God gives: if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. So this is a sacred, like a, sol- a solemn assembly that will take place uh, because we are in desperate, as you just said, we are in desperate uh, times right now. And uh, if we don't if we don't rise to this now, um, we may pass the point of no return. Um, and we know the Lord is real, and he hears our prayers. 
So it's a call for all believers who will, who have this in their heart, to, to come on the National Mall um, on September 26th. Um, it's going to start at 9 o'clock in the morning, 9 a.m., and it'll go to 5 p.m. There's also a, a night celebration afterward, and there's a pre the night before on Friday. But it's Saturday. The main day is Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 um, on the National Mall. But it's not only on the National Mall. Um, if, if people can make it, it or it's going to be all over the country. Um, we'll, we'll be streaming it. We'll be simulcasting it so people in their homes, uh, their churches can do it. People can do their own return event. It's not about an event. It's about a, a day of prayer and repentance, starting with the church, with our repentance, and then interceding for America. We need this as never before. Yeah, and folks, uh, I'm I'm supporting it. The Family Research Council is supporting yeah. it. I will be oh. there and and be at the event. And 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 again, as Rabbi Khan pointed out, you don't. It's great if you can come here. And be on the mall, but you don't have to. You can uh, you can watch it online and participate. And uh, you know what do you believe, Rabbi Khan, will happen if America does not return to God. I mean, it's to me, it just seems like we're at this, this tipping point. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Um, that is the reason also why I was led, you know, before this year, I'm praying about this year, and I always had to think about 2020. Uh, there's actually something linked with a harbinger to this, and that's why I was always looking, so I'm praying, and that's where I got two things for this year for me, and one was to write the harbinger to, and the second was the return. Um, I believe we're at a critical point. Um, there's a, there are biblical um, templates involved here. Um, we, I believe the Lord has been warning us and calling us, and we've had this window of time. That's part of a biblical template that happens over and over again in the Bible. Um, and then there are signs of that window coming to an end or the danger of it. You know, we've got the election. We've got, but then all the shakings that have, you just, you just uh, you know, spoke of them, all of these things at once, we have never experienced anything like it. And that is also the pattern, Tony. You know, we, we talked about this a long time ago. We were talking about the harbinger. That is the pattern of, of the way it goes. There's an initial strike, a warning on the land. This is a biblical pattern. Then there's a, a window of time given, years, a span of years, given for the nation to come back. But America has not come back. We've gotten, we've, we've been racing away from God since 9-11. And so we're, I'm seeing more and more dangerous signs of the, of the ending of this window. And that's what I, before the year came, that's what I believed was going to, I just had a sense that I told people, um, and we're watching this. So I believe th- this is, even if we didn't have the shaking, look at what's happening. And we have an election that could seal everything. So, um, so yeah, I believe if we don't, we are heading for judgment. And and even if we do, you know, it doesn't mean we're not going to have shaking, but we're praying for revival. That is the answer. Yeah, I mean, in, in at any point, we've seen from history and we see in the Scripture that if we turn to God, he is more than eager and willing and ready to restore that fellowship with us uh, as individuals and as a nation. So it's never too late yeah. um, as, as long as we are breathing. Uh, that we can yeah, turn back yeah. to God. Now, let me let me ask you something. You discovered something about the return that nobody had <laughs> planned, and and no one had any idea. Share yeah. that with our listeners. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of cr- critical things about the timing. And first of all, again, one is the timing. It's it's as we said, it's about it's around 40 days from the election. It's also the 400th. It's during the voyage, the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower, which is a spiritual right. thing, and you know, a, a founding of America. But then there's something else. It's also in the days of you know, on the on the biblical calendar, it's actually the days that are appointed for repentance, which is which is because uh, we're, we're appointing ten days, which is uh, September 18th to September 28th. Um, 
that's the overall period. That's from the Feast of Trumpets. That begins it. And then going to the Day of Atonement. That's, a, that's always been. But the, 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 the return is on the a Saturday before the end of that 10-day that period. And that, that's September 26th. So I didn't realize this. And it's kind of crazy that I didn't because usually, usually I look for, I see those things. But I didn't. And, and that was that that day is actually very significant on the biblical calendar, or the Hebrew calendar. It is called uh, Shabbat Shuvah. And Shabbat Shuvah, Shabbat means the Sabbath, of course, it's Saturday, you know, um, but Shuvah means the return. Wow. <laughs> we had no idea. It was appointed on the calendar as the day of the return, and for the day for the return, and, and meaning also repentance. It's a day that's given for national repentance, and the key, one of the key scriptures that's appointed, it's going to be read all over the world in the synagogues, you know, that day, is Joel 2, which says, consecrate a solemn assembly, which is exactly what the return is, and pray and intercede for the land that that judgment doesn't come. It's exactly that, and we had no idea. Yeah, I tell you what, every time I'm around you, there's these hidden jewels that come out. I don't know what it is about you, but you I don't, just... I don't, I don't, I don't look... I, I guess I attract it, but I don't know, but I had no idea, Tony. That is that is truly amazing, and I, and I will just say this. In fact, I'm going to be talking with Carter Conlon in just a moment, yeah. and, and he's focused and on he's that 400. He's going to be there. Yeah, yeah. he'll be there, and but he's focused. In fact, we went up yeah. last year uh, to yeah. Plymouth uh, in anticipation of uh, what's going to be taking place in October. But, yeah. folks, this is... Uh, Quite significant. In fact, at previous times in our nation's history, before critical elections, yes. there's been gatherings here in our nation's capital for prayer. Yes. The timing of this is quite significant. Rabbi Khan, um, how can people participate in terms of they need to register, they just need to show up? How are you doing that? Yeah, no, they can. This is open to everybody. You don't have to register. You can just show up. Um, the thing is that that uh, to be there, you just have to come. There is a there is a, a gap. The night before, there's a, a, a celebration as well on Friday, a gathering. Uh, but you just have to come there on uh, Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5. Uh, and again, there's a the night thing as well that uh, that will you know will happen. But to find out, you just they just have to go to the return dot org, and that'll give them information what you need to know. The return dot org. But you can just come with your people are coming with their churches and buses and all that um but again also you can do it at you know with your church as well but there's no tickets there's no anything you just come well let's uh, before we run out of time let's talk about the harbinger to the return the sequel what yes. give us a little sense yeah. of, of what's in there because i couldn't put yeah. the other one yeah. down yeah, Tony. The, you know, when I wrote the Harbinger, I always knew there was going to be more, and I but I couldn't do it until the time. And um, the 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 mystery of the Harbinger or the template in the Bible is the beginning of a of a progression of judgment. It's not the end. It's the beginning, and that's that first strike with us. We had nine eleven. Then there's that period. But then where does it head? The the the, the what was in the Harbinger and uh, is that you know the nation continues away from God, and that's what we've been we've been watching, and the the Harbingers have not stopped. They they have continued since I wrote the book, number one, and continued up to this day. Um, and so, one of the things is revealing what what has happened since, um, and then what is happening. What is happening now? I'll just give one quick taste uh, or, or an idea of it, and that is that you know in the original Harbinger, there's a chapter called Things to Come, and I looked at it again. And one of the things is it's asked, how long is it between that from the, the in the biblical template from the first shaking that strike the enemy strike in the land to the time when the the, the greater shaking 
Vikings start resuming on the land, coming upon the land. In the case of ancient Israel, 605, Nebuchadnezzar, that was the first strike. Then the, the final thing with the great shakings came in 586. That's a 19-year period. Mm. Well, when you take 9-11, it's the year 2001. When you add the 19 years, what is the 19th year? The 19th year is 2020. And that, that's why, uh, Tony, for years, and this has certainly been the year of shaking. Um, and actually, Jeremiah, when he speaks of the 19th year, he actually speaks of a plague on the land. So for years, I've been looking at this year, and not that God has to do anything, but if it followed the template. So I believe with that or even without it, we know we are at a critical, dangerous point in this progression and pattern. So I've written, I felt, I, this is the only book I felt I had to write it at this time to send warning about where we are, what's coming, and how to prepare, and what the hope is. So I've, I've, felt, I've never felt like I, I had to do something like this as I have with a Harbinger too. Well, the timing is certainly right uh, for that warning to be issued to, uh, to, to believers in America, that we first, as you know, Second Chronicles lays out, that if yeah. my people, that we return. And, and, but very quickly, before we run out of time, Rabbi Khan, um, who else will be a part of the return? Who all is involved in this? Yeah, well, I'm thanking God that you are. First of all, thank you for all. Not only that, you've also given great help, so thank you, Tony. Um, there's uh, Pat Robertson will be there. Doc, I mean, will be part of it. Dr. Dobson's part of it. Um, uh, Pat Boone, um, uh, Alveda King, Martin Luther King's niece, uh, Billy Graham's daughter, Anne Graham Lott. Uh, you know, um, really so many people from the broad uh, spectrum of our faith are going to be there um, through, throughout the day and also of course music Don Moen, there'll be worship of course um, so it's going to be from all over the body of Christ all coming together for this moment. Well folks I want to encourage you to uh, join Rabbi Khan and myself there for the return on September the 26th and uh, Rabbi Khan thanks so much for uh, joining us today, and I look forward to that autographed copy of The Harbinger, <laughs> The Return. My, my honor, Tony. Thank you. All right. So good to, to have you on the program, Rabbi. I look forward to seeing you. Later, God. All right, folks, mark your calendars. Either uh, be here or join us online for September the 26th. A lot happening that weekend. A lot. All right, don't go away. Pastor Carter Conlon, my guest, when we return. Are you concerned with the state of our nation? And when looking at what's going on in our culture, do you wonder, what can I do? For the past 15 years, FRC Action has hosted Values Voters Summit, an event for people like you who want to shape the culture so that all human life is valued, families flourish, and religious liberty thrives. And this Values Voters Summit is going viral. So everyone can tune in and be encouraged to pray, to vote, and to stand in these significant times. Past speakers included President Donald Trump, Vice President Mike Pence, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Dr. Ben Carson, and Dana Lash. Register today for your free digital pass and join us virtually from September the 22nd to the 25th from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Visit ValuesVoterSummit.org for more information. That's ValuesVoterSummit.org. Don't miss out. Remember, pray, vote, stand. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The Federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. 
Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. As I mentioned, take the challenge if you've not already taken it. And I know you're probably going to get tired of me saying this, but I'm going to say it repeatedly every day until the election because it is important that you commit to pray for our nation, that you commit to vote biblical values, and you commit to stand for truth. If you won't do it, who will? If we don't do it, It won't get done. And our nation, the future of this nation, depends on it. And as we were talking about, prayer, the first element, There's, it's encouraging to me that God is stirring the hearts of people to pray. We're just talking about the return that takes place on uh, September the 26th. But on Tuesday, October the 6th, four weeks before Election Day, Christians around the world will gather for a virtual prayer meeting. Now, there's something quite significant about this one. Uh, This will be coming from Plymouth, Massachusetts. Now, this is 400 years to the date, to to the year, that the pilgrims came to this country. And this is not just taking place anywhere in Plymouth. It's actually taking place on lot number one, the site of the first house, what's believed to be the place that the surviving pilgrims, those that survived that first winter, gathered there for Thanksgiving. And uh, my good friend, Pastor Carter Conlon, who is the general overseer of Times Square Church in New York City, is leading this initiative, and he joins us right now. Pastor Carter, welcome back to Washington Watch. Uh, Tony, it's a real pleasure to be with you again tonight. So this is entitled, Lord, Forgive Us. This is a prayer event. It's a prayer event. I want to just underscore, this is a prayer event that will be taking place that evening. But before we get into the specifics, I want you to tell our listeners how this event came about. Now, I know 
how it came about because I was uh, I was with you up in uh, in Plymouth. But I want you to share this with our listeners because it tells me God's hand is in this. Well, it it, it started with uh, we were on vacation in eastern Canada, and my wife had been reading a, a book on the Mayflower, and she asked me if we could stop at Plymouth uh, to specifically look at Plymouth Rock on the way home. And uh, so I agreed to it. So we, we went to Plymouth, Massachusetts, and uh, we were sitting on a on a bench overlooking the uh, the colonnade that covers this 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 stone that's uh, supposed to be the first rock where the the, um, the settlers stepped out of the boat onto the shore. And as I was sitting there on this bench, I, I heard my name called, and it was a young lady and her husband, and they were walking their dogs. And uh, I said, "Do I know you?" She said, "No, but." My mother and father, myself and my husband and four other people, we we join you every Tuesday night in your worldwide prayer meeting, and we've been praying with you for the last two years. And I said, oh, that's very nice. And she said, uh, my mom and dad bought that house over on the corner. Would you like to see it? And I, I started to beg away, and I said, well, you know, we're very busy, and we're on our way home, and um, I, I really I have to be honest, I really wasn't interested and looking at the house, and I didn't even know the history of it. I had no idea. Uh, and then this gentleman shows up, which is his girl's father, and he told me, he said, I've, I've been praying with you for two years, and I've been asking the Lord to make a way that I could meet with you, and here you are, sitting on a bench about 30 yards from their house. And then I found out the story that about two and a half years before that, he was a construction uh, contractor. The Lord spoke to him in prayer to sell his business, go to Plymouth and buy that house. The The house that sits, it was built in 1790 on the foundation of the very first house ever built in America. Uh, in that house that is the place where the pilgrims prayed uh, in 1620, 1621, when they first landed after that first winter. In that house, there was a treaty signed with the, the Native American Indian people of that time. And in the front yard, there are diagrams in the house that that uh, depict the first Thanksgiving actually being in the front yard of that particular house. And so when I went in the house, I began to, I just said, can we pray? So we joined hands, we began to pray, and there was an undeniable touch of heaven came down into that room. And when I went back to my hotel room that night, I said, Lord, you obviously have sovereignly led me there. This man bought the house. He was praying to meet me. What is it that you want me to do? And it was that evening that the Lord led me to First Chronicles chapter 6 and 7 uh, in the Old Testament where Solomon dedicated the temple and prayed and asked God, he said, if, if the people, if your people are taken captive near or far by their enemies because they've dealt casually with you and they, they realize what they have done and they turn back and pray towards this place, then hear their prayer and forgive their sin and bring them home. And so it was that evening or that at night that the Lord now appears in the next chapter to Solomon and says, I've heard your prayer. And that's where that famous uh, scripture comes in. He says, I've heard your prayer. And he said, if I have to send pestilence or if your enemies rise up against you, or if there's famine in the land, then that verse comes in. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And so realistically, that verse is in response to Solomon's request. And the request was if they're taken captive and they they come to themselves and say, God, what have we done with what you gave us? What have we done with the people, uh, the blessing you gave us and the people you called us to be? And they come back and they pray towards the place where the nation 
you know, this, the temple represented actually the pinnacle of God's presence among the people. Then God says, I'll be listening and I'll be waiting here. Because then he says at the end of the verse in chapter 7, now my eyes will be open and my ears will be listening for the prayer that's prayed here. And my heart will be there perpetually. So that means I will be always there and always waiting for that prayer to be prayed. And he spoke to me and said, I want you and others to come back to this house where this nation began, where these first pilgrims prayed. And I want you to ask for forgiveness for what you did with the freedom that I gave you. And that's that's where it all began. When you look back 400 years ago at that point when they came to this country, they made a covenant with God. And so in some ways, this is a return to that agreement just as the children of Israel were called back into that covenantal relationship with God. I want to, I, I, I'm posing that as a question, but we're up against the break, so I couldn't put a question mark on it. I'm putting a pause on it because I want you to speak okay. to that uh, when we come back from this break. And, uh, and then I, I want to share with people how they can be a part of this event because this is a virtual event and people all across the country and around the world can participate in this event. Folks, don't go away. We're going to continue our conversation with Pastor Carter Conlon about Lord Forgive Us coming up October the 6th. Don't go away. We're back after this. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? As churches consider gathering again, they should develop plans to reopen and operate according to the guidance of the CDC, along with state and local guidance that does not violate the First Amendment and other religious freedom protections. Family Research Council has a helpful resource with best practices and tips for churches and places of worship to consider when crafting their reopening plans. Romans 13 instructs Christians to be subject to the governing authorities. The civil authorities have a difficult task ahead, and we should seek to be a part of the solution through cooperation and service to our communities. Some states and authorities like Nevada and California are treating religious entities more restrictively than non-religious entities. But as long as restrictions are temporary, applied equally to religious and non-religious gatherings alike, and there is a good reason for putting them in place, government restrictions are not likely to violate religious freedom protections. To learn more and to view this resource, visit frc.org slash church guidelines.
Mark your calendars now. It is Tuesday, October the 6th. It is the Plymouth Prayer Event. Lord, forgive us. 400 years ago when the pilgrims came, they, uh, they, they landed. But before they landed, they actually they did something very important. Uh, it was the Mayflower Compact. It was a, really a covenant in many ways. And, and Pastor Carter Conlon, who's heading this up, joins me uh, by, by phone. But, but Pastor Carter, how significant is that period? 400 years ago on this anniversary, uh, is this a, are we at a significant junction in history? Well, I mean, we're in the same place, Tony, that the early pilgrims were in. They had just come through a, a long, very arduous winter, and uh, I, 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 the numbers are, are general that I'm speaking now, but I'm told that 103, 104 landed, and about 51 survived. And it was the 51 people who survived who met in the, in, on the lot, in the very spot where this house is now built, to pray. And they were, they were weak. They had very few, if any, resources. They had no plan. They had no strength. All they had was a promise from God that they were being taken to a land where they were going to be able to worship God freely according to conscience and according to his word without dictates from above, placing restrictions or limitations on their practice of their faith. And they were so given to this word that they had from God that they jeopardized, and of course half of them actually gave their lives in the fulfillment of it. And so I wasn't obviously in that prayer meeting, but it, it would have gone something like this. Lord, if, if you fulfill your promise to us and you give us this land, which we recognize we can't take by our own strength, it will have to be an act of your mercy and your, your power. But if you give us this land, Lord, we will live for you. We will serve you. Uh, we will honor you. You know, when you realize what would have gone on in that prayer meeting, and it's as if God just took them at their word. And, of course, from that place of weakness was born a nation that is inarguably probably one of the greatest in the history of this world. And now we find ourselves in a, in a very similar place to where they were. We are surrounded by enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. We are in a place where we're not as strong as we thought we were. We're in a place where we have to recognize that we have in great measure compromised with the word of God and uh, the, the, the mission and the service of God that should have been our part of the promise. And the Lord in his mercy, I, I believe, uh, Tony, this is an Ezekiel moment. You know, remember in Ezekiel where the, the Lord said to the prophet Ezekiel, and he, he gave him a description of the land, and from the top to the bottom it was just rot and corruption and and wrong speech and dealing, and it was just, it had gotten so vile that it must have been difficult for anybody to even live in that time. And, you know, judgment would be obvious. And, you know, the, the observer would look and, said, and say, well, this, this nation deserves judgment. But God said to the prophet Ezekiel, I sought for a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge that I should not have to judge the nation, but I found no one. So it was in the heart of God to show mercy. And he was looking for somebody who would walk in agreement with him. And it is it is my thought that we might be living in a moment just like that, because the 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 Plymouth prayer meeting is God's initiative. It's not mine. The Lord led me there. Mm -hmm. The Lord is the one who's calling this prayer meeting. I mean, there's 
there's lots of us who've called prayer meetings myself over the years, and, and those are good things, great ideas to gather together to pray. But this is different. This is God calling for a prayer meeting at the very place where 400 years ago he made a promise to the people who said they would live for him. And he's asking us to say, to confess what we did with our freedom, to confess our sin, and then to finish our prayer meeting that night by asking for a moment of mercy for the facets of our society that are in desperate need of a touch of heaven. Realistically, what I'm believing that we can ask for is a third spiritual awakening in the nation. And in my heart, at least that's what this prayer meeting is all about. Well, I know I had my wife and I had a chance to be uh, with you and uh, your wife, Teresa, there last fall. And as we were praying through this and it was clear that God's hand was directing in this way, I, I so many things that I don't have time to go into. But one thing I've been doing with my son, my youngest son, in the last month or so in preparation for this, we've been reading um, Plymouth Plantation. And it just what mm-hmm. is striking to me is, as you describe the hardships that these men and women face, but their faith allowed them to overcome. And, and out of that, out of their weakness, God created this tremendous nation. But today I look at the fear that has gripped America, that we're afraid to even come out of our homes because of this virus. And I think about if, if they operated with the mindset we have today, that has been thrust upon us by our leaders and by the media, this country would have never come into being. Oh, they, they gave their lives for this cause. I mean, they were fully prepared to die so that we might be free. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a type of Christ, obviously. He went to a cross and died so that we could be free from the penalty, the power of sin, to live for him and to bring glory to his name in the earth. And when we and, move away and I'm from one that. heart with you in this, we need to stand up now and, and take our rightful place no matter what the cost is going to be. Yeah, and we move away from that. We don't have the confidence that comes with standing in Christ, even in our weakness. All right, um, we're out of time, Pastor Carter, but we're going we're gonna to talk about this more before the event. But folks can find out more about how they can participate by going to TonyPerkins.com and following the links over. Uh, Pastor Carter Conlon, as always, great to have you on the program. Great to talk to you, my friend. Thanks, Tony. God bless you. Take right. care now. Folks, check it out, TonyPerkins.com. Make plans now to be a part of it. Don't go away. Joseph Backholm joins me next. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. 
Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. The history of the United States is preserved in archives, books, and the collective memory of the American people. It is also preserved through monuments and memorials that visually represent the extraordinary history of our nation. To tell these stories and remind ourselves of the importance of these memorials, Family Research Council has a new blog series highlighting the most recognizable and popular monuments in our nation's capital. This series devotes particular attention to the historical and spiritual themes depicted in each monument, sharing some not-so-well-known facts about their history, design, and symbolic meaning that shed light on our nation's deep religious heritage. This series aims to inspire the next generation to see the importance of these monuments and to remind us of the virtues and lessons that they memorialize. To read FRC's monument series, visit frcblog.org slash monuments. Again, that's frcblog.org slash monuments. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is at T. Perkins. Same if you're on Parlor. And uh, each day I put out a little scripture verse, devotional thought. If you want to keep up with that, go to Parlor at T. Perkins or Twitter. Pray, vote, stand. I told you you're going to get tired of me saying this, so if you if you want me to stop saying it, go ahead and take the challenge. Go to TonyPerkins.com, take the challenge to pray, vote, and stand. We've been talking about uh, the prayer, the prayer initiatives coming up September the 26th, the return here in Washington, D.C., and then the uh, the prayer event at Plymouth. And we're going to talk more, I think, in the coming days with uh, Carter Connell, and that is on October the 6th in Plymouth. I'm going to be there and be a part of that. But now, kind of transitioning to uh, moving into the to the vote and to the stand portion, uh, joining me to uh, to talk about this, Joseph Backholm. He is FRC senior fellow for biblical worldview and strategic engagement, and uh, he, he previously served as the director of the Family Policy Institute in Washington State, and most recently served as legal counsel and director of What Would You Say. They were videos that uh, were done for the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. Joseph, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Great to be with you. I know you were uh, with us in a special we did on education uh, a while back, but now as we move to uh, kind of all things elections, you actually wrote a piece titled Five Things to Remember About Elections. What are those five things? That's right. Well, um, we'll, we'll go in order, I think. And I think just in in, uh, in honor of the the new election season, I, I think it, I wanted to kind of remind people a little bit why why do we engage and and what's the 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 practical as well as the theological kind of underpinning of that. And the first one I talked about is the re, the reminder 
that local elections matter too. And I think that's important, especially in a presidential year. And that uh, though the conversation this year about Trump and Biden is going to suck a lot of the oxygen out of the room. If there's any left, the various gubernatorial and U.S. Senate races will be discussed. And a lot of people uh, tend to forget that there are state legislative races, there are mayoral races, there are school board races, and now more than ever, we're seeing the impact that school board decisions right. and mayoral decisions make in our lives, and we need to keep those in mind. And I would add to that, you have elections for attorney general, you have elections for district attorney, right. you have elections for sheriff, you mm-hmm. have uh, elections... Um, for a number of these offices that we're actually seeing right now play out across the country, how those individuals are either defending religious freedom by refusing to enforce unconstitutional laws when it comes to churches meeting and right. such. So I think more than ever, we're seeing the importance of these. I mean, they've always been important, but yes. it's being we're, we're made more aware of it yeah. right now of the importance of these local elections. That's exactly right. And, and there's also in local elections in, in, in many cities uh, as well as some states initiatives, the yeah. ballot initiatives that are on the ballot where you we as the voters will be making the policy determination for ourselves. And so we're going to think about the ballot. We're going to hear a lot about the elections, a lot of conversation about who's going to be president. But I think as stewards of the culture, which is what we are, we need to remember that uh, it's just not about who's going to be the president. It's important, and we want to be part of that as well. And and by the way, before we get too far away from that, we have resources available to help people if they're trying to figure out who to vote for. Yes, we do. Um, we, we do. And we're actually piloting uh, for the first time our text voter guide this year, uh, partnering with uh, with iVoter Guide. And we've been a partner with them to deliver great voter information uh, for years. But for the first time this year, anywhere in America, you'll be able to get your voter guide by texting your zip code to 53445. And uh, we hope millions of people will do that and get your voter guide within just seconds. 53445. Text your zip code to that number, and uh, you will be informed faster than you ever thought was possible. 53445. That's exactly right. Your zip code. And I can't tell everybody what their zip code is, but hopefully they know that. And and what happens is they then get a voter guide that's tailored to them in their district from top to bottom. From top to bottom, from the White House to the state legislative race. And I don't think all the iVoter Guide covers all of the you know yeah. small mayor mayoral. It depends. Races, some yeah. some jurisdictions they yeah. may, but it just yeah. it depends because you you can't put output what's not input. And right. of course, this is a massive undertaking. But it'll give right. you the big ones. Yes, yes, it will. It will be very helpful to everyone who's looking for voter information. So what's uh, what's next on the checklist? Yeah, the, the next thing that I think people need to remember is that God is always in charge, but you should vote anyway. Yeah. Now, why, why do I say that? Is because I hear this argument within the church. It's like, you know, politics is dirty. I don't want to get my, I don't, I don't want to waste my time and energy on that stuff. I'm going to fall back on the sovereignty of God. I know that no matter who wins and who loses, God is in charge. My eternity is secure, all of which is true. Therefore, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, my response to that, because I've heard that so many times over the quarter of a century that I've been involved in the, the political realm, is people say, well, you know, God is in control. And I said, you know what? I, no one is questioning that. In fact, God was in control at Sodom and Gomorrah. 
But how did that turn out? You know, we have a responsibility to turn society with our influence that God has entrusted us as we advance his kingdom. And so our laziness, our our indifference does not excuse in any form or fashion the direction this country is going. Yeah, and I think if you make that argument in a different context, it becomes clear why absurd, how absurd that is. God is always in charge, so I'm never going to mow my lawn. God's always in charge, so I'm not going to worry about what's going on with my children. I'm just going to kind of, you know, be indifferent to that because my eternity is secure regardless of what happens with my kids. The reality is God is always in charge, but he... He entrusts us with certain responsibilities. He gives us resources. He gives us time. He gives us talents. He gives us families. He gives us opportunities. And he wants us to be stewards of those things. And our stewardship is not an indication that we don't trust God. Right. It's an indication that we're going to be responsible with what he's asked well, us to it, do. It, it actually reflects that we do trust right. him. We trust him by obeying exactly. him and carrying out the purpose that he has given to our lives. Yeah, and recognizing that it came from him. All authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. God gives, we as American citizens, as the, the privilege that we have of having some authority, which ultimately came to us from God, not to be treated indifferently, but to be used for his purposes. And we can then rely on the fact that once we're faithful, we don't control all the outcomes, and God is going to have his way, but it is our responsibility to do what he's asked us to do. I mean, if we want William Penn, I think, said it best. He said, you know, he said government is like clocks. It takes its motion from men. If if government is to be good, you got to put good men in it. That's exactly right. And so if we want righteous government, we pray for good government. we got to put good men, righteous men and women in government. That's exactly right. Number three. Number three is vote for the best option, not necessarily the perfect option. And this, in in every election cycle, we hear this maybe more so since 2016, but what we know is that the ballot does not always present perfect options because the ballot is full of people. And so there are rarely perfect people on the ballot. And so the temptation sometimes is to say, I don't love either of them. And I think, you know, what's interesting is we sometimes think about our ballot. We're, We're so immersed in social media. We like things. We favorite things. We kind of view our ballot kind of as a like. I like that. So I'm going to heart it, whatever it is. But and, and so when we feel like we don't 100 percent like it, then we're, we're, we're going to withhold right. our like for, for from our ballot. But it's really a different choice. But there's some exter- external factors involved here, too, because this is actually some uh, this is a, tr- a trick, a tool however you want to describe it, that I think some on the left are using against Christians when it comes to the choices they have on the ballot. That that somehow, how could you vote for, and I'll just say in this case, you know, President Trump, look at his background, look what he did. And, and, and so it's like this idea that you have a choice between Donald Trump and this biblical description of a perfect candidate that we would all desire to see. Yeah. Well, that's not the option. Right. And, and, and that is that's the dilemma is you are making choices within the options that are presented to you. Right. And as soon as perfection is offered to us, then we, we hey, will get it. We'll go. We'll, for all, it. we'll all be excited and enthusiastic about it until then. We're forced to live in the real world where there are trade offs and we have to evaluate. And I think some of the ways that we can evaluate this when if, if we're going to make for a, a choice about the best option rather than the perfect option, let's think about 
what policies are going to be impacted? Um, who's the team that they're bringing with them right. that, that is going to be relevant to this? Because it's not necessarily just because I vote for somebody does not mean I endorse everything they've done, right. said, think, past, present, or future. It's the, just that here's my two options. I got door number one. I got door number two. Which one am I going to pick? I may not love either of them, but if I don't make that choice, then I'm leaving it into the hands of somebody else to make that choice, and they might ultimately right. make a choice that I don't prefer. And another resource to kind of go along with that, uh, the party platforms, because that helps define what a particular candidate in his administration or her administration would do, because they, we know from history that about 80% of the time they do what is contained within those party platforms. That's exactly right. Number four. Number four. This is a little different. It's not necessarily a tool. It's an FYI, recognizing in this weird coronavirus voting year, the election may not be over on election day because we had um, initially there were 34 states before 2020 that allowed absentee voting. We've had since then this year, 20 states have passed new legislation creating a whole range of new allowances for voting by mail. In some cases, uh, they are allowing, they, they will count votes as long as they are postmarked by election day. Now, there are some states that have been doing this for a while. Washington State, which is where I'm from, has has done that for a decade. Yeah, and but it took them a while to get there, though. It, it took did. Them a- well, and here's the thing, is ballots are coming in weeks after Election Day. And this has been happening for a decade in Washington State. You have legislative races that aren't decided for two, three weeks after Election Day because they keep trickling in. They're postmarked on Election Day, but... You know, Lord knows what happens in the mail and it, you know, it gets sent to Dubuque and comes back before it ends up getting to the the voting office. And eventually they get it and they count it. And in some of these narrow races decided by dozens of votes, it's a long time. And yeah. so everybody, I mean, we, those of us who remember the good old days of Bush v. Gore and the hanging chads in, in West Palm Beach, um, th- we might be in for it something was December, like that and worse. December before the Supreme Court. To ruled on the, that uh, that right. suit and declared the yeah. election. If we get a couple of states that are waiting weeks for this, it could be a fun ride. Yeah, so don't uh, actually just go ahead and go to bed <laughs> election night yeah. because uh, it'll still be talked it, about the next morning. It's yeah, it's it's gonna <laughs> number be five. Number five, and I think this one is really important. The majority never wins. The majority never wins, and why do I say that? Um, because in any political jurisdiction, whether it's the whole United States or whether it's your, it's your, your small town. In, we'll take the United States in 2016, 320 million citizens, but there were only 63 million, less than 63 million people voted for the president of the United States, Donald Trump. Is that a majority of the 320 million people who lived here? No, it's less than 20% of the 320 million people who lived here. It's actually only 27% of the eligible voters in the United States in 2016. So the point is, it's not a majority of the public that wins. And we always, you know, even in cities that we feel like we're kind of outnumbered, it's like, I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to bother because I know most of my neighbors disagree with me. So what's the point? 
And the, it's important because the majority of the community is not who decides the right. election. It's the majority of the people who decide to turn out and actually vote. And every single time, it's a fraction of the actual yeah. population. Yeah, even in, in a, at the high watermark in the 2016 election, only about 60 percent of eligible voters actually voted. Right. So, I mean, there's it's almost as if your vote counts twice. Yes. Uh, because you take the time to be registered, right. to be informed, and to vote. Right. And so, remember, th- this is important for all of us who are going to make that decision, are we going to vote or not, is it doesn't matter if you're outnumbered. You do your job, and you are going to have a disproportionate amount of influence to your just representation in the community because – the and, and this is – it's particularly acute. We know in, in, the, in the more local elections, going back to the first point, because 150 million people approximately might vote for president of the United – will cast a ballot. In 2016, it was about 125 million, I think, the, the number who voted for the president. But when you get down to school board mayoral races, right. uh, the more obscure races that aren't covered, you still have um, votes being cast by – of the people in the city or in the school district. And in some cases, you have school board races being decided not by thousands or millions of votes, but by dozens of votes total. But there's more. There's more in terms of how people can influence, because not only your vote counts, but listeners to this program, no doubt, are influencers. And so if they have the right tools and have the right conversations, they can actually shape the votes and the the, the outcomes yeah. with their friends. That's exactly right. And, and one of the best stories to remind ourselves of this is a House of Delegate race in Virginia in 2017, yeah. where it was tied. It was tied, and the, 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 the race was literally decided by drawing a name that, out of a hat. That was – which then decided – who controlled the House of Delegates. Right. It was that close. Joseph Backholm, thanks so much for joining us. We're out of time. My pleasure. All right, folks. Thanks so much for joining us as well. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is powered by the Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 